Hey! Hello there! Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Alicia. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and as women in general. Yep, and you can find or follow us on social media. Our Instagram and Facebook are at From Skirts to Scrubs. Our Twitter is at FSTS underscore podcast. And you can check out our website for more information on our episodes, show notes, sources, and more. And that is from scrubs.com. You can also subscribe to us and leave us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts is a great place to do both of those things. And you can leave ratings on Spotify as well. So we're back. It's us again. <laughs> yeah. As always, your two favorite med school gals. Another podcast episode another week. Today, we are going to be discussing the life of Anne Tro, or as she's better known, Madame Rastel. Now, without giving too much away, Char, what do you know about Madame Rastel? Um, not much, to be honest. All I know is that she has something to do about abortion in New York. And other than that, like, not, not really anything else to be honest well, just great. the very baseline <laughs> yeah That's it's it. like funny because the wickedest woman in new york which is often her nickname is something that we called back to in our literal intro episode and we yeah. have yet to speak about her so today's the day finally four seasons in <laughs> we get to it <laughs> Let's find out how the wickedest woman in New York got her name. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. So mm-hmm. for Anne Tro, she was born in a small town in England called Painswick, Painswick, on May 6th, 1811. So right off the bat, I don't usually go into like more random facts about places that people were born or whatever. I like will typically move on. But mm-hmm. interestingly, Painswick, England is actually a town that is known for its pagan sex cults. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. And actually, like what? it's a Roman god that in the past they would like celebrate. They would like have celebrations in his name mm-hmm. and it was like all related to like paganism and sex cultiness do you happen to have a guess for what roman god this is the hint is that it's kind of in the name slash maybe it is fully in the name and i'm just pronouncing this town wrong i don't know roman gods very well um are there any greek gods that like are associated with this that you know it's kind of one of those like Aphrodite kind of vibe now it's a dude I don't know this is a hard one this is a deep cut so if you pronounced Painswick or Painswick like Panswick oh Pan Pan Pan. he's a niche god to know for sure Pan is the Roman version of diaphonesis and he's yes. the god of oh, pleasure. And in a way, the god of sex, kind of. Gotcha. So what's interesting is that Antro, Madame Rastel, her hometown growing up was Painswick. 
And they would have these festivals every year that were essentially just like giant orgies slash large parties celebrating sex. And this is important because it could explain why later in her life, she kind of had this very keen understanding that there is just a need for birth control and to have abortion options. So like Mm -hmm. this started for her like very young, probably not in this like intentional kind of way, but she just understood that there was more need for birth control and like abortion options outside of just prostitutes or people who were selling sex for money. So that's like a baseline to start at. Okay. But Antro started working at 15 years old as a maid, which is a terrible job because at that time, or I guess even now, like she could be assaulted or raped Mm -hmm. like in that role and had really no autonomy for herself. So at 15, she started as a maid. She ended up actually doing okay, though, because about a year later, she got married to a tailor named Henry Summers. And they had a daughter. Her name was Caroline in 1830. But like this family was generally just struggling financially. They were not doing great. And that makes sense mm-hmm. because Henry Summers was a tailor and Anne was just a maid. But a year later, she was like, I want to move to New York. I want to move to Manhattan. Like, I want a better life for us. This is not going to work. So they did. And then they moved to New York. What do you think happens to Henry Summers, Charlotte? Get to New York and die? He dies. Oh, no. Yeah. So he died just like a few months after moving to New York. Mm -hmm. And the sources aren't super clear why. Like, they're all generally the same and really it doesn't matter, but it is kind of interesting because like one source says that he caught yellow fever. Another source says that he was an alcoholic and he died of complications. What were those complications? Unclear. They said maybe it was bilious fever, which like don't know exactly what that is in modern day. It seems like it's some kind of like intestinal slash malarial kind of fever maybe typhoid Mm -hmm. maybe malaria maybe hepatitis literally unclear but this man died goodbye and after he died Anne worked as a seamstress to try to support herself and her daughter but that job sucked too she did not like it it wasn't paying much and so she was like this is not going to work I'm going to get remarried. And so she did. She got remarried in 1836 to a man named Charles Lohman. Mm -hmm. Now, Charles was also here for this, like, let's have a better life for ourselves. He was a Russian immigrant. He worked as a printer for the New York Herald. So he was like part of the printing press, essentially. And he made like... An okay amount of money, like enough money for him and Anne and Caroline to like all move in together and like live together. It wasn't fancy, but it was functioning. After they moved in, Anne became friends with a man in their building named Dr. William Evans. And this William dude was quite interesting. He, first of all, was not a real doctor. He did not have any formal medical training. He was just like, a pharmacist in a way he like made pills and he would literally make them himself which is like a very common practice obviously the pills that we have now are like made in a factory people would print like press their own pills at that time Mm -hmm. so 
he would make pills, tonics, powders, and all of these things were based on old herbal remedies. And he would sell them to cure all sorts of garbage, like not garbage, very important things. Like he had pills that treated baldness all the way to tuberculosis. Like he really was a jack of all trades kind of man. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. One stop shop. And a lot of his pills didn't harm his patients, but they weren't also like helping them that much. Mm. But he was pretty successful in selling his little quack medications. And he suggested that Anne also make her own medications and like learn from him and join him. And so this girlie, with no medical training at all, starts making pills to cure liver, lung, stomach issues, and like all these things. She eventually starts making it into a pretty steady business. And then a customer came to her and asked for medication to end an unwanted pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So some background on abortion in the 1800s. In the first half of the 1800s, family planning was actually like very private. It was the private business of women. Do you happen to remember the point at which you could like terminate a pregnancy? Um, like there's like a thing that you watch for that you like feel. Yeah, like the like you feel the movement of the baby. Yeah. So it's called the quickening. We talked about it before. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's when you feel the first fetal movement. And so at that time, a woman could easily obtain like medicine to terminate an unwanted pregnancy if she didn't want the pregnancy. If she felt the quickening and she was like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. I don't want this. And she could terminate it. But if that didn't work, you could also get a midwife or doctor to do a surgical abortion. A lot of midwives would do it. Doctors were kind of like useless at that time, which we kind of knew as well. (laughs) Whoops. So in New York at that time, doctors who wanted to control like women's medications passed a law in 1827 that made providing abortion a crime punishable by a year in jail and also charged a fine of $100. Not great, but also (laughs) there's so much worse. But yeah, yeah, like jail for a year, $100. But people weren't really like following this law. Like it wasn't that well upheld. No one was going around and really enforcing it. And so around then was when Anne made her first abortion medication. And she was still just like, you know, tiny little business not even a business out of this William Evans's little doctor's office you know like no one was paying attention to her so Mm -hmm. she started making these pills and she copied an old recipe but the treatment became like pretty popular it was probably from my reading some kind of combination of ergot of rye and cantharides ergot of rye is apparently like some kind of chemical or an herb that can induce labor. And then cantharides are just very poisonous. So I think together those things had like aborted factant effects. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I was wondering like, what is she putting in these? Yes. Yeah. Like, I that? think it's a lot of like 
And this is a very common thing throughout history is that there's lots of herbs and plants and oils and things extracted from them that are just straight up poisonous. Like, I don't think it's obviously difficult to like get a high enough amount of something to like cause Mm -hmm. an abortion, but also like there was a lot of things that have like abortifactant effects. I don't have them all here, but I know that we've like talked about them in the past and then, yeah, just generally. So Anne stopped working as a seamstress. She was like, don't need this anymore. And she started making medicines full time. And her and Charles were literally thriving. Like they were doing amazing and they both were in it together. He was like, screw this Taylor thing. Like, I'm going to help you. And so the two of them and I think his brother basically all like got together and they had this whole plan to elevate her business. So they rented an office space on this like cute, chic street. And she started (laughs) spreading this story that the year before, so the year before she left for a year, she like left America, went to Europe Mm -hmm. and came back and then started this office. And she was telling people that in that year that she went abroad, she learned how to do like abortions. She was actually just visiting her family in England, but she came back and was like, I learned these secrets of safe and effective medication abortions from this famous doctor in Paris. I know how to do this now. And so it was after that point that Anne Tro became Madame Restel. And oh. yeah, she like Where'd changed she come her up with name? That name. I don't know. <laughs> I was wondering, I'm like, when is Miss Madame going to come in here? Like, I don't know. I don't know how she came up with that name, but she's here. She has entered. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> this is already quite the vibe. This woman is doing very well money-wise. And she is just prepared to elevate herself. So she runs her first ad, like an advertisement, in Mm -hmm. the New York Sun, which is like a newspaper. And then soon after that, her, Dr. Evans, and like her husband and her brother-in-law launch a mail-order business by circulating a flyer around the country. And this business was so successful that this like little motley crew of people actually opened offices in Philadelphia and Boston because they were doing this like mail order abortion stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Which I think is so fun and cool. Yeah, it's super cool. And these ads were like everything, Char, apparently. Like she was just like super brazen, but like in a... I don't know, brazen, but in a tasteful way, like she ran these ads about how women were dying in childbirth and like what would happen to a family if a woman has so many children and then she dies and who would take care of her children? And what about the women who get really sick after childbirth? And what are they supposed to do? Real. She's just being real. She's like, isn't that bad for your family? Like, what about the families who can't afford kids right now? Like, shouldn't they be allowed to get married and live and make money to raise their family? Like, 
what are you supposed to do if you have too many kids and you can't take care of them? So she's just making all these really reasonable arguments. Yeah, like all the Which things. is crazy in the 1800s, though. I know. It's crazy it's, now for people to honestly, say that. honestly, like, so many of the reasons are still, are, like, the reasons why people are pro-choice now. It's, like, exactly, all yeah. of these questions that she was raising are just questions that people think about now because they're like, shouldn't women have the right to choose not only what's happening to their body, but like how they want to live their lives and like having a baby and having a child will change that. So it's like taking away that choice. So anyway, this lady was really with it and she was saying all the right things and doing all the right things. And women were like loving it. They were like, yeah, this is so true. But the issue, well, it was like a minor issue, but sometimes her medicines wouldn't work, which is not mm-hmm. like the fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. like a, kind of unsurprising. But the craziest part is that she maybe was doing that on purpose, question mark. Because mm. so she started like dabbling in birth control powders to like help people just like prevent pregnancy in the first place rather than like have to terminate a pregnancy. Right. But she noticed that people would spend additional money to like buy her abortion medications because the birth control powder wasn't working. Oh no. I know. And then so she might have like been fudging the powder. Slightly kind of slash, like I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. It's like maybe she gotcha. knew it wasn't working, maybe she knew it was. It's it's like kind of hazy. But okay. Um, it is interesting though. So she was like, she grew up poor. She's very much like a woman of the people kind of energy. And she Mm. made it so, or she tried to make it so that even though she was rich and like pretty influential now, she wanted to make abortion accessible to anyone who wanted it. And so she very much like skewed the prices of her medications Mm-hmm. and was not ashamed of it like she would openly charge rich women like a hundred dollars for an abortion pill versus twenty dollars for like a poor woman who couldn't afford it oh wow yeah she had her own insurance policy going basically. she very much did she oh, wow. also would perform surgical abortions remember oh. this woman had no medical or surgical training no medical experience okay none none but she would use whalebone. Don't know how she would do that. Don't know where she'd where get the she whale get a whale bone. I don't know. I don't know. She's like out there killing whales, <laughs> taking their bones. <laughs> she was out here. She would do full surgical abortions with these whale bones. But they were surprisingly like safe and effective. So I don't know. I like couldn't tell hey, maybe you. Maybe she picked it up somewhere on the way. You never know. Maybe she picked it up in Paris when she was yeah. out there learning. I don't know. But Madame Restel's office was open every day from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. And it was always full. These rich women would come by and she would give them medications, but she'd be honest about how pricey they were. Poor people would come by. She'd be throwing them medications. She was just like full time running this business. Yeah, damn. But of course, with her wild success, she had people who hated her and wanted her to end her business. Of course. Of course. Of course. All the haters. So 
some of them were doctors who were like, bro, you don't have a medical degree. You shouldn't be doing this. But then it's also like, bro, you have a medical degree and you don't know how to do this. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Other people were religious leaders, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then others were like social reform kind of folks. I think it was just an uncomfortable space in which they were navigating. And they were like, we don't know how we feel about this. Yeah. Some people were sexist and they were just upset that she was successful, but she was a woman and like wildly, wildly successful. Others were worried that family planning was becoming so easily available because of her that women would become morally loose and promiscuous. Mm -hmm. Since what was the worry? I know. Since they didn't have to worry about pregnancy. So then they would just like be promiscuous all over the town and then not have to worry about being pregnant. And that was not okay to some people, but it's okay for men to do it. It's just not cool for ladies. Yep. And then others were concerned that this time, you know, this is like late 1800s, early, early, mid 1800s during the reconstruction kind of post civil war era. And so Mm -hmm. there was a lot of like migration to the north of Southern Black individuals. And there was some concern that if we were controlling like white women's reproduction and not others, like the reproduction of like Black people and immigrant people that they like didn't care about birth control. And so they would be like overrun by all these people that they didn't want to have children. Yeah. yeah. So definitely like the racist approach too. We can't forget about that. Yep. Yep. There was all those things to consider. She had lots of haters. Mm-hmm. Her first arrest of several Ooh, arrests. Her first arrest. <laughs> yeah, I know. I realized like I just had that written down there, but that is objectively surprising. Madame mm-hmm. Marcel was arrested several times, but the first of her arrests was on August 17th of 1839 which was just five months after her first ad was published in the paper. So pretty quick. People were like, we don't like this. So she was arrested for providing an abortion before the quickening because she like gave this woman abortion pills. And Mm. I guess she hadn't like quickened yet. I don't know how they came about knowing that. The charges were actually dropped because the patient didn't show up to testify. But... People were still just like upset about the whole situation. Lots of men wanted to stop her. So they were attacking her in the newspaper, calling her the wickedest woman in New York. Oh, they accused her of hurting and killing her patients, even though literally no one could prove this because like no one has died at her hand. Yeah. And actually in 1846, so like about five years, six years after she was first arrested, There was a riot outside of her office because of how bad things had gotten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But women still waited in line to go see her. Women are persistent, especially when it comes to abortion. It's so true. In 1847, Rastel's enemies finally were able to get her convicted for performing an illegal abortion. And so she served a year in prison. It was actually the story behind this is that a Mm -hmm. woman named Maria Bodine wanted an abortion but she was too far along and Restel told her that she was like you're too far along I can't do this like I'll get in trouble but she also felt really bad for this woman this woman was like I really want you to do it and so Restel felt pressured 
to do the procedure, and she did. And this is what led to her indictment Mm. for second-degree manslaughter. Oh, no. I know. So she went to jail for a year. She went to Blackwell's Island, which is now called Roosevelt Island. I guess there was a prison there. Went there for a year. And then what do you think she did when she came back? Went right back to what she was doing before? She went right back to it, restarted (laughs) her business. Only this time she stopped offering surgical abortions and only focused on like medication abortions. That way she could avoid this like late preterm situation. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And this calmed people down for a little bit regarding her business, but they still eventually like ended up coming for her. But she was like making a buttload of money, even just off of the like medication abortions. So much money she was making that the mayor officiated her daughter Caroline's wedding in 1854 because she was just like that influential. She was that prominent in New York. Yeah. And in 1862, her and her husband built a mansion in the nicest, most exclusive area in New York. And actually they outbid the archbishop of like one of the churches to buy this plot of land that he was trying to buy for a church. She like outbid that. And I'm pretty sure that plot of land is like across the street from like a very prominent cathedral, like in New York. Yeah. Wow. She outbid the Catholic church. Yeah. Wild. I know. And in 1867, she opened an office in the basement of her mansion home. So she was like functioning in this like really nice part of town with this Mm -hmm. like really nice office. And interestingly, just like a fun random aside, her daughter, Caroline, ended up getting remarried after the first wedding to a police officer in 1867. So the same year that she like opened up that Rustel opened up her business in her basement and Rustel did not approve of this <laughs> match. She was like, bro, the police are coming for me and you fell in love with a police yeah. officer. That's not cool. So she basically disowned her daughter. Oh, and no. I know. And then like took in her daughter's kids. So like Rustel's grandkids from the first yeah. marriage, she like took in those kids and raised them in her mansion. And bought them, like, all these nice presents and, like, took care of them and made one of them Carrie, Carrie, her little granddaughter. Uh, Carrie became her assistant. So that's, like, how that was going. Adorable. I know. But unfortunately, the anti-abortion movement became very popular at the end of the Civil War because this dude, Anthony Comstock, the U.S. Postal Inspector and head of the Society for the Suppression of Vice, but even more confusing. Interesting. Whatever he was doing, he's actually the person that ended up bringing her down. So he's the guy who sponsored the 1873 federal law that made it illegal to sell abortion medications out of state. What? Which is like the same law that now like affects interstate like abortion. Right. From 1873. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And what's crazy is that he also is just like a really messed up dude. So he's like very, very conservative, which makes sense. 
he was very religious and he was super, super ashamed of like all of his sexual urges that came out of him. Like this man was a chronic masturbator. He masturbated a lot as like most people do. But the fact that he was doing that was very troubling for him. And so his reaction Mm -hmm. was not like normal of like, oh, you know, this is just how it is and it's fine. Instead, he was like, I need to make a world in which there will be nothing for me to be like lustful over. Yeah. What? He's a strange, strange people really just project. Big projectors. So this man pretends that he's buying abortion pills for his wife. Madame Restel sells him the abortion pills and the next day she's arrested. And this is all just like too much for her. Her husband had died the year before and she was saying that she would rather die than face conviction. So on April 1st of 1878, Madame Restel or Anne Tro Lohman committed suicide. She was found dead in her bathtub. Oh no! Or was she? (laughs) So, fun twist is that some people think that she faked her death and fled to Europe, which would be sick. How? So apparently, I don't know exactly how, but like the evidence that maybe she did is that like her estranged son-in-law told the police that there was a plan to potentially get her out of the country. And a lot of her jewels and clothing were missing from her house. And there were reports that people had seen her like in Paris And her grandkids, who were very, very close with her, like, didn't even mourn when they heard Mm -hmm. the will. Like, they just seemed, like, generally too okay with things. Yeah. And Hmm. for the next decade, like, her grandkids went off to Paris, like, every few months of the year. And so maybe she just moved to Paris and she was just kind of like I'm over this like I don't want to be here anymore and she just like super sus yeah because like (laughs) it wasn't the police that found found her body well I don't know but it wasn't the police that found her body it was her handmaid oh okay so they could have just faked the story maybe possibly yeah like I I don't know but we don't know but I want to think that she like moved to Paris and she was like F all of you yeah I'm done with this. (laughs) Yeah. But basically, she was no longer doing abortions. Her time as an abortion provider had come to an end. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what happened to her. But that is her story. What a tale. Do you want to chat about her, Char? Yeah. Yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. Okay. All right, Char, what do you think? Do you have any any initial thoughts? Yeah, so my first thing I think I was shocked by in this whole story is that she had literally no medical training, truly nothing. And I don't know if I should be surprised or what, because when we talk about the underground abortion network many episodes ago, a couple seasons ago, that was focused on a woman named Jane. That was just like the name that the women went by, but Jane was the woman in Chicago who ran like abortion networks. 
and they didn't have any like specific medical training either. They kind of learned how to do abortions on their own and would teach other women. And then they would like have doctors slash other people who knew how to do abortions come in and do it for them. So like, it sounds like historically, other than like midwives doing it, people who were just doing abortions on their own, like no medical training, which is Mm -hmm. interesting and sus at the same time. Super interesting too that Madame Restelle, like she got so big in the society with literally no medical training. I don't know. Very interesting. Obviously do not condone that now. Don't go around doing stuff you're not trained to do. But I was just shocked by that because I, I don't know. I thought she'd have some type of training. And then with that, the meds, her just going off like an old recipe and maybe giving meds that like don't work or like not really yeah. knowing. Like, I wonder if she like as her business grew and she started reaching all these people, if she changed like the medication formula at all. It's when I'm wondering, like, did she improve? Oh upon it herself was she like oh it's getting a lot bigger now like maybe we should like find different meds and different herbs to use to make this like pills just wondering I I feel like she did I feel like I mean at least that like logically makes sense and she made this whole whoop-de-doo about how she like went to France and learned stuff you know and I know she didn't really but like maybe she picked some stuff up in Europe like you know and slash like I'm sure with treating all of these women over time she like knows just based off of that alone, like what worked and what didn't. I wonder that. And I wonder like how much medical knowledge she gained as she went farther into this world. Kind of brings me to the next thing that I think is really interesting is that she was so passionate about this. Like for someone who has no medical training, like isn't part of the world, she's not personally treating pregnancies or anything like that. Like she's just genuinely like passionate and interested in abortion care without seeing like the downfall of not being able to have an abortion in certain situations, which I think is very interesting. And I can see that in society a lot today. People are very interested in abortion care and reproductive rights, even if they're not in the medical field and they're Mm -hmm. very passionate about it. And that's how this woman was too. Like she went to jail for this and she still kept doing it because it was so important to her, even though she didn't have like any background that would have pushed her towards being such an advocate for this in that way. That's kind of cool. It's interesting because I wonder if it's like that she was an advocate or if it was like a money thing or maybe both. But I guess like at a certain point, it's probably, yeah, like probably was an advocacy thing because like she went to jail that one time. Yeah. Yeah, She like went to jail. She came back. She stopped doing the surgical. She said, okay, no, I'm just going to do the medical abortions. Like she sounds like she was a successful businesswoman. She could have just gone to a different business. Or if she was really interested in pharmaceutical business, like there's tons of other things she could have been doing that weren't so controversial. So she had like this like social awareness about her too, kind of of like how important this was. And like you even said, like she would charge pills based on people's base, like their socioeconomic status, basically, which just yeah. has a huge like social awareness. If she was just like purely a businesswoman, then she would charge everyone the same because like, it would be like this is my business. I need to make money off of this. Here's like the pill and how much it costs. But I think charging people based on like their social status and how much they can afford is like very socially aware. Yeah. She's just interesting in that way. Those are very astute thoughts. 
this might be a hard question. So I don't know if you like necessarily have mm-hmm. an answer. I honestly don't, but I was trying to think of someone in our society now that we could maybe compare Madame Rastel to like, they don't even have to be in the abortion slash like reproductive care spaces. But I was just like curious if we could come up with anyone because this woman is so infamous, but she's also so beloved. She was at that time. So I'm curious. Yeah, I can't think of anyone specifically, but I have to say like the whole story, her her actions made me think of older OBGYNs today. So in the reproductive abortion space, OBs who are close to retirement, who are looking at the new laws that are in place and saying, I literally don't care. I'm going to do what I need to do for my patients. And I do not care if I go to jail because like I'm at the end of my career. Like I've done everything I need to do with my family. Like I've seen a lot of that in the news of like in Southern states, especially a couple like older OBs who are about to retire anyway, saying like, I'm going to provide because if I go to jail, I'm not like there are other people who can take over for me. And I was already going to retire anyway. And like, this is really important to me. So she just made me think of like those individuals who are like putting like their lives aside in a way to like keep doing this care when it's being like so mm-hmm. targeted and such like a witch hunt in some areas. She just made me think of like those individuals who are out there in the country doing that. So I think that's really cool and brave of them to like risk their whole career and like their lives with their families and their retirement to like yeah, go to jail. That's for- a good thought. And that's so true. She definitely has this very like, I don't give a crap attitude and a very much like F you attitude. Like the fact that she literally bought a plot of land across from a church just to be like, I can do this. And it's in a nice part of town and you all, and my business is going to be here too. So Mm -hmm. now not only do I live here, but you know what's going on like inside of my house right now. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, she's kind of like unhinged in this like really fun way where she's just like, try me. Like, yeah. It kind of reminds me of, I guess, like now mm-hmm, that I like exactly. I'm saying this, I'm like, oh, it reminds me of just like good trouble, like John Lewis being like, just get into like good trouble. Like, what are you really doing if you're mm-hmm. not, you know, putting yourself a little bit <laughs> on the line, but like for something that matters. Yeah. And then I guess sure. my last question is just what Madame Rastel's business success kind of says about either her impact on women who were living at that time. Or even just, like, the fact that she was so successful, like, what does that say about the needs of women at that time? Because I think, like, she is not a very commonly known name, but she has definitely had a big impact on the spaces, like, reproductive spaces. I mean, it just I think the success of her business and, like, how many women went to her and, like, the the way she even advertised at the time just shows like even in the 1800s how much women needed abortion care and how abortion care is part of women's health and like medical care if it was so pertinent like hundreds of years ago it has been pertinent for like a lot of history in general like abortion care has always been part of medical care and I think the fact that this woman was able to provide such direct access to it, how her business grew so quickly solely on women, like using her for this care just shows like how needed it is, how pertinent it is. And on the flip side of that, I also think the, the man, Comstat, whatever his name was, who 
So maybe it wasn't him, but someone was saying that like they thought that a having access to more abortions would allow for women to be more morally loose because they didn't have the risk of being. Oh yeah. That was just like a general like sentiment that people had. So generally people thought that. And I was thinking like, when you were saying that, like people thought that forever, like Mm -hmm. literally as far back as you go, people are so scared of women being morally loose for whatever reason. Cause apparently it's fine for men to be like that, but women, no, no, no. So like women have to have pregnancy as this like scare tactic to not have any sexual being within them. And for that same reason, like abortion has mm-hmm. been part of medical care for all of history as well. So I think it's interesting that this woman, I feel like could be placed, you could take her and plop her in yeah. society now. And like her business yeah. would be exactly the same. The hate she would receive would be exactly the same. The need for her business would be exactly the same. Like, it's just like mm-hmm. very, it's a very relatable story in that way. And how it has impacted abortion history. I mean, like she's in New York. New York's very accessible for abortion. It's interesting that that's kind of where her business thrived so early. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it is. She clearly was filling this need and fascinating, but not surprising, of course, that even though she had this big impact, no one knows about her. We don't talk about her. She's irrelevant to our lives today because abortion history is not like important enough to talk about Mm -hmm. and like women's history is not always important enough to talk about so there's that but I think like my biggest takeaway to just like from her Mm -hmm. story is like she was just this woman that had this good idea and like really ran with it and like didn't let anything kind of get in her way even though it would have been easy like you said to just like fold and like let it go which honestly like I tend to be the type to do that. I I yeah. will say it. It's easier sometimes to just be like, okay, I'm like losing this battle and I don't yeah. have it in me to fight anymore. So it's like finding the things that are worth pushing forward with yeah, and just sure. like doing them. But yeah. if you want to keep fighting the good fight and listening to this podcast, you should subscribe <laughs> on all the podcasting apps that you feel that you would like to. We're available on many of them. And you can leave us a rating and review and Apple Podcasts is a great place for that. You can leave a rating on Spotify if you'd like. And that would be super helpful. Yeah. You can also follow us on any social media. We have Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all of those. And you can also check out our website for more information on show notes, sources, and our merch wishes from scriptscrubs.com. And lastly, here's the women who have fought for us to be where we are today. May we do the same for those who come after us. Bye. See you next time. Bye.